I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadandi and Bibbulmun people of Wudichup in the southwest Bujara region in Noongabudja, also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, men's bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. And today is episode number 100. And it is a special episode uh, in the sense that I am having a return guest join me. So in this episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with Dr. Betty Martin. You might remember her from episode number 62, I believe, where we talked about the wheel of consent. Well, I'd love to reintroduce you to Betty. Uh, Betty has had her hands on people professionally for over 40 years. First as a chiropractor and upon retiring from that practice as a certified surrogate partner, sacred intimate and somatic sex educator. Her explorations in somatic-based therapy and practices informed her creation of the framework, The Wheel of Consent, which we dive really deep into in this particular episode. Uh, As part of her work with the School of Consent, Betty travels around the world teaching practitioners to create empowered agreements in their client sessions in her highly sought-after training, Like a Pro, The Wheel of Consent for Practitioners. Originally developed as an offering to teach much-needed consent skills to sex workers and touch providers, this training is now attended by somatic therapists, massage therapists, sexuality educators, medical and healthcare workers, activists, human resource folks, and the spectrum of touch-based professional providers, all of whom can uh, complete the training with a clear understanding of how consent starts with our own bodies and then expands outwards into all forms of human relating with or without touch. And like I said, Betty and I dive deep into her Wheel of Consent framework in this particular episode. Um, We get into some of the nuance of it. If you want an introduction to the Wheel of Consent, I recommend listening to the uh, previous episode that she and I recorded. Uh, Like I said, I think it's episode number 62 called The Wheel of Consent with Dr. Betty Martin. Uh, And if you want to just find out more about the Wheel of Consent in general, Betty does have a book, which is available at wheelofconsentbook.com. Um, that's links in the show notes. You can also find Betty on Instagram at the wheel of consent or at Dr. Betty Martin. So like I said, in this particular episode, uh, we, we talk about the nuances of the wheel of consent specifically regarding the observations that Betty has made about men over the years that she's done this work. So what are the areas that men have get difficulty with, um, with regards to the wheel of consent and, and how it applies to them. And we speak about some practical ways for men to explore particular quadrants of the wheel of consent. So if you're familiar with that framework, you'll know about the taking quadrant. Uh, and we speak about how men have difficulty with this quadrant, how people in general, but particularly men. Uh, and then we also talk about the allowing quadrant and surrendering and submission and crossing boundaries versus having integrity. Really uh, interesting conversation. Uh, I still learn a lot from Betty every time I talk to her, so it's really enjoyable for me. And I hope you enjoy listening. When a boy is between the ages of 13 and 16, the testes begin to produce sperm cells. The old contraceptive, uh, the condom, it's uh, wrapped in rather a sort of crinkly paper. John, let's be straightforward about this. I'm not here to make a moral judgment, but 
you and I know that it was contracted through sexual intercourse with an infected person. This is you're you're actually one of the first people to come back for a second episode. So um, I'm not really sure how to introduce you. I suppose you don't need much of an introduction, Betty. But I'd love to invite you if you'd like to introduce yourself again. Um, I'd love to give you the floor for a few minutes to to just briefly introduce yourself. That'd be nice. No telling what I said last time, anyway. But yeah, who knows what um, it was? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm in the U.S. I'm a grandma, a mom. Um, I'm a former sex worker. I'm a former chiropractor. Um, I did sacred intimate work for a number of years and sex coaching and sex work. And over the course of that time, I developed a model called the Wheel of Consent, which I wrote a book about. It's out now. I don't think it was out before. Um, and uh, in that particular piece of work has gone all over the world and I'm running along trying to keep up with it. Um, I teach, mostly I teach other practitioners these days. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. And and thank you for um, yeah coming back, I suppose, and joining me again. And for people that are listening to this, I suppose, I'll direct them to the first episode that you and I recorded, which has all the well, not all because it's a, a huge kind of framework and there's a lot to talk about, but there has some really fundamental things about the wheel of consent that I would suggest listening to before we dive into this uh, episode because um, at the end of that that conversation, we, we kind of briefly touched on and we kind of teased that we maybe would speak a bit more deeply into kind of the male perspective of the wheel of consent and, and the way that, that framework applies to men, um, hence the name of my podcast, Men, Sex and Pleasure. And um, and so I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to dive into that with you and, and, um, and yeah, wondered where you wanted to start with that conversation, I suppose. That's my, um, my kind of launch pad is where, where did you want to start with that? Yeah, great. Well, I'd like to start with some basic understanding about the oppression of men and how that happens as taught to me by a man. Um, and this was, oh gosh, back in the 80s and 90s, um, I was part of uh, reevaluation re counseling or co-counseling. And, and there was a man there who was a teacher who was the international reference person for men's liberation. His name was Charlie Kreiner, and he has since died, but he was a very wise, very vital, and uh, it's just an excellent teacher. And he traveled all over the world working with men's groups and leading men's groups. And he had, he had this kind of explanation for what happens for men. And so it makes a lot of sense to me. So I'd like to share it. And you know, you may think something different, of course, that's totally fine. But but this is what my understanding of what comes from Charlie. And that is that because we live in a society that's based on war, and because men have been the, the traditional people who were sent to war, not that they wanted to go, but were sent to war, usually for kind of economic reasons. Um, there, there develops this sort of fundamental dynamic, which is kill or be killed. And so it's either you or me, buddy, you're going or I'm going. And so when you're, when your whole society is built on that, 
then you have to become very competitive with other men. And you may have a buddy. We have each other's backs. So you have this this um, buddy system dynamic. But in general, it's a lot of competition. And your, your feelings of tenderness are going to be a big problem. So you got to get rid of those right away. So in order to show up and be a man, you have to not feel all these things. You have to you have to not be soft, you have to not be gentle, you have to not be, you know, you have to not cry and all that stuff. And this uh and this is learned very early. Um he he gave some examples of some experiences of his and some of the other men who were working there of being um of boys picking on some other boy you know the the kid who was fat or skinny or whatever it was you know and all the boys were picking on him and he knew that he wanted to stick up for this kid but he knew that if he did then he would be the brunt of it as well. So then he would be victimized. So that there's a time when you have to choose, am I going to be victimizer or am I going to be the victim? And you have to choose which one that is. Um, and so that was another uh, big factor. And I remember witnessing that session where that story was being told and I just like holy shit you know and it's it's if you stand up and protect the person then you're going to get it too so what happens is that in order to be a man then you have to you know behave this way and that means that women then and this is a very binary approach then women then are not to be respected because they don't have to stand up and go to war. They have it easy. They can just stay home and take care of the kids. So we don't need to respect them. At the same time, we need them for our emotional, um, for our emotional lives because we haven't got each other. And this is the real key to a lot of men's and women's struggles is because men don't aren't allowed to be close to and be friends with each other in an emotionally close way they can't hug they can't hold hands walking down the street and many men would just be horrified at the very thought of that but there's nothing weird about it like people who like each other hug and hold hands you know so because you because men don't have each other, then the only place that they can have any emotional closeness is with women who they don't respect. So that means now I have to have a woman, but I don't respect her. And not only that, I have to have a woman who's the right age, the right color, the right socioeconomic, the right educational, the right attractiveness level. Um, and it has to be just this particular kind of woman. And I have to want to fuck her or it doesn't count. 
So then, so you have this, this whole dynamic pushing men into this sort of into this box of I'm supposed to be this way. If I'm this other way, I'll be killed or I'll be beat up or I'll be shamed or I'll be kicked out. And I have to get close to this person who I don't really like, but I need and that I'm supposed to want to fuck even if I don't want to. And that, um, and that she is my only source of emotional closeness. So now you've got a heck of a problem on your hands uh, because you, you don't have each other. And he, he used to say that the, the most important thing that men can do to support women in women's liberation is to get close to other men and have friendships with other men and begin to, to meet their emotional needs with other men. And that's hard to do a lot of times because of all the stuff. Um, and, uh, and there's a movement for that, of course, thankfully. Um, uh, so that, that was, that's kind of how I understand some of the ways in which men get pushed into this box. Um, a colleague of mine, Charlie Kreiner, describes it as being put in the man box. Um, he's a similar. Is that Paul, Paul Kivel's man box idea? Um, yeah. um, I'm not sure. I've heard it described by Charlie Kreiner. I mean, I'm sorry, by Charlie Glickman. Ah, Charlie Glickman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've yeah I I've heard it described by Paul Paul Kivel. I think is is the originator of that term, the man box, um, and that resonates with me a lot. Actually, um, the man box. I've spoken about that at length with other people and other podcasts, and um, and I, I I do it in workshops. Actually, I do men's workshops, and I I'll um you know, we'll we'll kind of popcorn style like you know descriptive words to describe the kind of stereotypical man what does it mean to quote unquote be a man in today's society and we'll get you know and i, I say look just be as stereotypical as you can be and it's usually like you know tall uh handsome strong you know he's an athlete he's a lawyer he's a doctor it's very you know very stereotypical he's straight right he, you know whatever um and so i go okay well these these descriptive words that he's of course he's cis yep straight cis yeah. white yeah. for the most part um and and so i say well though that descriptive language that you've just used is typically that's like the unspoken set of rules that we as men have to follow in order to quote unquote be a man. And if we don't follow that set of descriptive rules that are typically unspoken, then we're, we get our man card taken away, right? We're seen as less of a man because of it. Um, and there's and, nothing worse than not being a man. Yes, exactly. Because of what you, what you described is you, you get bullied and you get ostracized and you get picked on or you get killed, right? If we're using that kind of warlike scenario. Um, and there's like, I've heard this discussed by a few people there's almost like a sense of disposability when it comes to like, um, just the, like the system and the way the system works with men, I suppose, right? There's this yeah. idea that you're cannon you know, we, fodder. Yeah, we send we send just yeah. the working class men off to war, and you know, for for the elites, right? The the elites aren't disposable, but the working class, poor class, is kind of like we we send those off as cannon fodder, and um, it, even like certain jobs as well, right? That kind of like have high 
kind of skewed ratios with men to women, I suppose. Like a lot of these men have a lot of workplace accidents and they're kind of seen as disposable. We'll just get the next man in. And, and it's the system that's that's broken, I suppose, because because of that. Um, and um, Another and then, thing that, that oh, yeah. I think men that that is a problem for men is that as humans, we, of course, things happen. We get hurt. You know, we're kids. We fall down. We cry. We get up. We run along. And we have a natural healing capacity, which is to feel our pain. We cry. We shout. We storm. And then we get over it. And then we go on. And so the feeling, our this physical sensation and the feelings is crucial to healing and moving on. And we all, to some degree, have that shut down by our parents and caregivers. And typically, it varies, of course, but typically, girls are allowed to do that more than boys. Big boys don't cry. It's that whole thing. And so boys grow up with um, without this natural healing mechanism, or they grow up with this natural healing mechanism has been dampened, usually more than girls. It varies, but usually. And so then, then you don't have this opportunity to be able to see things more clearly and and get over yourself. Yeah, yeah, and I suppose that's why um, you were saying before that men will turn. Well, a lot of men, straight men, will turn to women as their emotional supports, and and that's. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Jane Ward and her work, but she talks about the tragedy of heterosexuality, which is essentially what you were describing. Is you know a lot of a lot of the men, the way that we kind of exist in this society, love but also hate women essentially right there's that like you've got to love this person who you disrespect right because of the way that that framework that you kind of set up and so that and so she she describes that as the tragedy of heterosexuality which is really interesting um and there was something else in there that i wanted to um just highlight as well as uh, paul like the way that i've heard it described paul kivel talks about that man box and he 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 describes how like if you're if you're outside of the box if like you have your man card taken away right um what do you do as a young boy or as a man in order to like get back in the box? And you, you essentially, what you were describing is you, you become the bully. You act out. Yeah, in, you brutalize in violence. somebody. Yeah, you brutalize someone. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that you, so because <laughs> your masculinity your is kind back. of, yeah, based on that, right? Is based on um, subjugating or, or subordinating someone below you, right? And you, and you putting yourself above them. And that's the way a lot of masculinity, in, in my mind, the way a lot of masculinity is framed in society is is by putting someone beneath you by rather than like rather than standing with and uplifting and you know um, supporting, which is not done because you then become the victim, right? You become victimized by by people who are still pertaining to that model. Um, you have to put someone underneath you. You've got to victimize someone else so that you get you know you, you step back into that kind of that that role of, or step back inside the box. And, um, and I see that with like men that speak about like that, like speak about in support of feminism, for example, or in support of women's issues. Like they get totally, you know, ridiculed and ostracized by other men. And, you know, and, uh, and like I've, I've had it to me online, I've talked about some women's issues and stuff and I've had guys calling me all sorts of names and, um, and it fully, yeah, just like that, like in the online space is just very, 
tangible. I'm sure whoever, whoever's listening to this is definitely knowing what I'm talking about because that's you just see it all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I love this idea of connecting back in with other men and creating community, creating support. Um, and uh, yeah, but there's, but I've seen some really unhealthy men's groups as well. It's like unfortunate. There's like there's the skew to that as well as when a c- group of men get together, but the maybe framework isn't there to kind of talk about systemic things and um and to talk about oppression then it tends to be it tends to be a little bit unhealthy in 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 my observation i suppose as well so um well i'm wondering then how does the how, how do we go from here to this kind of oppression of men as we've been talking about to the wheel of consent how does that framework maybe help with this whole scenario that we've unfortunately created for ourselves that's a really good question i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. Well, I think one way that it affects is, as you're saying, if you want to get your man card back, you have to go brutalize somebody. And um, that obviously doesn't fit in the wheel of consent. Um, but one thing I, I, you know, if I think back of uh, working with men as clients, and most of my clients have been cisgendered. Uh, and most of the men clients have been uh, heterosexual because I'm a woman. Um, so I want to acknowledge that the 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 overview that I gave before is really about cis men because it's about being raised as a boy. And for trans men, it's a different story. I don't know what the story is, but I imagine it's a different story. And they have their own challenge, social challenges as well. So, but I, I can't speak to that. Um, but I just want to acknowledge that that's what we're talking about. Um, so one thing that happens, I think, is that you, so now if you, if you don't want to be this, bully and real jerk about it, then you have to sort of go over here to, I'm not one of those guys. I'm a good guy. And yeah. And um, I can't tell you how many men have walked through the door of my studio and said, I'm not like those other guys. I actually like to give. And it makes me wonder, well, what do you think those other guys are doing? Like everybody likes to give, like that's no news. But anyway, um, so do you want to be the good guy? So that means you don't want to be groping. You don't want to be using women. You don't want to be, uh, you know, you don't want to be the jerk and you don't want to be selfish. You want to be thought of as the generous lover. And that's great. And one thing that then happens with that is that I've seen many, many men become afraid of doing something for their own pleasure because they're so focused on providing pleasure to the woman as well they should be sometimes. Um, They're so focused on providing pleasure to the woman that they don't know how to do something that's for their own pleasure. And it can be, it can be debilitating. Um, the, the wheel of consent is about 
among other things, distinguishing between my hands going down your back. Is it going the way you want to, or is it going the way I want to? And what's the difference? And it's a very different experience for both of us. So when my hand's going down your back and it's going the way I want, because I want to get a nice feel of your back, then that opens up kind of a certain pathway into the brain and into the heart that is just about me focusing on what my hands feel. I'm feeling the shape of you. I'm feeling the texture of your skin. I'm moving the way I want to move with your agreement because we've already made an agreement. And so I'm just tending to what my what your skin feels like. And it feels lovely. And that experience is very difficult for most men. Um, and then if you don't have that, what I call the direct route of pleasure, which is the ability to take in sensation and experience it as pleasure, that just, just pleasure, just not, not about anything. If you don't have that, then the only thing you have left is to try to make the other person feel good. It's kind of an indirect route. Like, I, I don't know how to feel good myself, but I can make you feel good, and then that makes me feel good. Yeah, and that's a fine thing to do sometimes, but if that's your only way, then that's a problem, and you're missing something. There's, a, there's an authenticity and a, a vulnerability that's missing, and a certain kind of fun that's also missing. And in my experience, that's often very difficult for men. And, and I, I imagine that part of it has to do with this training that will have to be the good guy. And I think part of it also is because I've noticed this. I, I do an exercise with people where you take an object in your hand and you feel it. You can do this on YouTube. And, you know, just a pen or whatever it is. And you just notice where's the pleasure in your hand in just this sensation and for most men that is much harder than it is for most women and it's not because you guys have any fewer nerve endings in your hands that's not it i think it's because that that access has been turned off as a young child i guess I mean, that's the whole thing you think of. And, um, and because you, you, it's part of that getting shut down, you have to shut down the feelings of your body. If you're going to shut down your feelings, you're shutting down the body sensation. And so it's just not available. So as men, as that wakes up for men, it's a huge aha and it's life-changing. Um, and then, then it becomes possible to touch a person for your own enjoyment. And that changes everything. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a 
plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure-oriented. We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that uh, wake up your hands exercise. I personally love it. Um, And I also, I get every single male, I I mean, I only work with men. So I get every single client that I work with to do it as well. Um, It's like the first, I send your video out to them from YouTube and, um, and it's a, it's a light bulb moment for a lot of, for, for almost like 95% of the guys that I do it with, um, they. And how was your own? Oh, oh yeah. No, go ahead. How was your own experience with that? Yeah. Uh, it was, it was, um, for me, I did this, I'm 28 now. I did the first wake up your hands kind of practice when I was in my, I think I was 20, 21. So about eight years ago. Um, and it was, at the time, like um, almost revolutionary for me because I was a young man. And I thought, you know, I thought I knew what I was doing sexually, you know, and, and then had this um, as a lot of young men kind of think that they do. Uh, and um, and then had this like that experience. And I was like, holy shit, I've been missing out on this whole other side of just touch and pleasure. And um, yeah, it was I was very much part of that mentality of, of like, and this is what I kind of wanted to, to share. So I was like, the I'm the doer of sex. Like I do sex to women. Like I'm I'm straight, so I do the thing to my partner. I give the pleasure from me to her, right? And I'm kind of responsible for her pleasure. Uh, and and I, a lot of the guys that I work with have that mentality as well. And what I wanted to to throw in there is is like that dynamic. Yeah, can be can be great, can work, but can sometimes lead to women or, or your partner feeling pressured to to feel pleasure because that's the only pleasure that you're getting is from them so that's one of the reasons why uh, i've observed at least anyway in my conversations with women why a lot of women fake orgasms for example is because they feel that pressure from their male partner to experience pleasure because that's the only avenue for pleasure that he's got um so that that's something i, I share with guys a lot and that's that you that usually kind of goes oh shit i've been doing that um and so they that's a a light bulb moment for them as well. Um, and that was for me. Yeah. That was a light bulb moment for me to be like, oh my God, I've been outsourcing my pleasure essentially to my partners. Um, and I've been living kind of vicariously through them as opposed to actually enjoying my own experience of pleasure. And there's, well, I think one of the reasons why, why I, and, and why I think a lot of men do that is because there's this narrative, I suppose, that pleasure is seen as something that's feminine or pleasure is seen as something that's kind of like like it's unnecessary for men, like men are rugged and rough and hard and, you know, we persevere and we grit our teeth and we go to war, right? And all that sort of stuff. That's like how we framed masculinity and a lot of men kind of um, play into that. And so pleasure for pleasure's sake, right? And feeling, right? Which pleasure is part of feeling is seen as this thing that's less than masculine. It's not masculine. And so a lot of guys purposely shut themselves off to actually feeling anything when it comes to sex, um, or I suppose like 
you know, they, they put themselves in that role of doing because that they're, you know, men are action oriented and goal oriented and forward, you know, whatever. Um, and so there's this kind of story then that pleasure is seen as weakness because it's kind of perceived as feminine. Um, and I see that a lot actually in I, I kind of referenced certain men's groups before. And so I'll, I'll kind of, you know, think back to those men's groups and there they do they kind of say pleasure is kind of for the weak you don't need it if you're a real man like you know you don't oh need pleasure gosh. it's very yeah uh, betty the whole oh online God. the whole internet yeah it's, it's fucked there's uh, some there's some groups online some men's groups online which are very very um toxic i would say um but and then that is one of the core kind of tenets of these groups is that like you don't need pleasure pleasure for pleasure's sake is yeah, and it's very it's very sex negative and pleasure negative, and it's it's almost kind of like quite Christian fundamentalist as well. But that's a whole separate thing. Um, and so I, and so I think like men collectively kind of have this idea that um, that pleasure is kind of seen as weak, and that if you experience any pleasure, that there's kind of you know you're you're being more feminine, that you're not being as masculine, and so there's a lot of fear of pleasure. I've noticed in a lot of men that I work with, fear of actually dropping into their own body and noticing how they'll feel um, or noticing like, you know, I mean, there's this fear that they'll make a face and that they'll look a certain way or that they're letting go of something, right? There's this fear that like they're not in control. Um, and that, that ties into this idea of performance as well. Like if they, if they feel too much pleasure, then they might ejaculate too quickly or they might, you know, I don't know, whatever their story is, but yeah, there's, there's a, in, in all the guys that I've worked with pretty much, there is a core element of, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid of experiencing pleasure because that's not what men do. And it's, you know, gonna, what if, what if this happens? And so, and so, yeah, that, and so the very simple practice is the wake up your hands exercise, which is fantastic. And it was a life changer for me. Like I said, revolutionized my approach to sexuality and, and self-pleasure. I kind of get guys to do it with a, with an object, whether it's a mug or a ball or whatever. Um, but then I get them to transition to do it with their cock as well. I say, you know, now that you've kind of, tuned into sensation with your hands like do the same thing with your penis do the that same thing when you're when you're self-pleasuring and it doesn't like part of the whole story that i you know unwrap with them is like doesn't matter if there's an erect penis or a flaccid penis or whatever your penis is doing like just notice like you've still got the same amount of nerve endings whether it's an erect or flaccid penis but just tune into the pleasure and, and what actually you feel when you do that practice and um and, and, and with and, your hands feeling yourself with your hands what are your what does it feel like in your hands yeah yeah that yeah that's exactly right yeah what is um yeah and and yeah there's a whole so there's a whole a whole process that i kind of take them through but yeah. So like, and it comes back to, to self-pleasuring, like is, is, um, cause I've got to learn how to experience pleasure essentially. Um, and, uh, and so I help them do that through their own self-pleasuring first. And then I go, okay, now that you've kind of learned how to do that, I suppose, um, how does this translate with your partner? And that's where we talk about the, like, uh, we use your other video on the three minute game or the, you know, we use the bossy massage or things like this, but it's those practices of like learning how to, explore your pleasure with a partner um and uh and and i you know i kind of say to them to kind of get past that story right that you were saying of like guys are um the, like the, they're the, they're the giver of pleasure and they you know that's the kind of role that they try and try and um play i say to them like women like when you are enjoying yourself like if you're in your pleasure and you're moaning and turned on and, and it feels good for you that's hot your partner will like that. Um, and so if you want her to experience pleasure, 
one of the ways that you can do that is by enjoying yourself, right? And by actually experiencing pleasure yourself like that, you know, she'll, she'll see that and be like, wow, that's, that's a turn on. Um, and so a lot of guys don't actually realize that. And so the way I, I frame them to them is like, do you like seeing your partner enjoying herself? They go, yeah, f- yeah, of course. I'm like, well, guess what? She's the same. She she likes seeing you enjoying yourself. Um, and that's, they, they usually go, oh, okay, okay. Um, but yeah, so they're, they're, there's a lot there. I feel like I rambled a little bit, but um, but that I'm a big, big proponent of the wake up your hands exercise and, and, and facilitating that. I think a lot of times, a lot of men that I have seen as clients, um, they focus so much on their genitals that they forget the rest of their body. And a lot of men are able to experience pleasure in their genitals, but they just don't notice that they have arms and legs and chest and butts and heads and ears and, you know, that that the pleasure capacity of the rest of the body just gets sort of forgotten. And I think it's the same. I think it's the same reason that you're talking about. Yeah, and so they default into that serve uh, quadrant, right? And and there's a and I think you know we didn't necessarily say this, but the way that you were describing it, I feel like is a lot of men have a resistance then because they're trying to be the good guy and serve. They have a resistance to the taking quadrant. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. And it, for for many men, it's just incomprehensible. And it takes a learning, it takes a physical experience, a sensory experience before it clicks. And then they go, oh my gosh, this is a whole different thing. Yeah, it is. Um, And I want to say too that, you know, talking about your women also enjoy seeing you in pleasure. I imagine a lot of women right about now would be saying, well, that's all he does. He just wants his own pleasure. He doesn't really worry about me at all. And I think that's kind of the other side of the coin. And that certainly happens. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that couple needs a three-minute game. <laughs> you know, I, I don't really know any anything that's probably not cured by the three minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I one hundred percent agree with you. Um, that that idea, right? Of um, because because I've I've heard that um said before. Is this well, like well, guys, guys only just focus on their pleasure, and yes, but my distinction here is like I feel like a lot of men focus on their gratification not on their pleasure. And I make a distinguishing thing between pleasure and gratification. Like a lot of guys, and and the way that I kind of talk about this is like, I've been in locker rooms. I've, I've talked to plenty of men about sex and pleasure and, and things like this. And the way that guys talk about sex, right? When they've had sex and they're talking to other mates, like their mates in the locker room is like, You'll never hear a guy in the locker room say, oh, it felt so amazing. I had this, all this pleasure in my body. It was orgasmic and it was through my, guys don't, guys don't talk like that, right? Like in the, in the, in the locker room, right? The mainstream kind of dudes, guys will will describe the sex that they've had as, yeah, I busted the biggest nut or I came so hard or it's like, it's very, like you are saying before, genital oriented. It's very gratification oriented. It's not pleasure oriented. And so- I, and so I would, you know, when people have said this to me, well, guys only focus on their own pleasure. I kind of challenge that and say, well, guys aren't actually focusing on their pleasure because they're not actually, they don't actually know how to feel pleasure. What they do know is gratification. They know that really well. They're really good at getting themselves off. And so what that's what they're focusing on is their gratification. They, they're kind of using you to gratify themselves. They're kind of using you as, I mean, something to kind of 
masturbate into, right? Is essentially what a lot of guys are doing. Um, and so that's the, that's the challenge that I kind of give there. And, and that usually helps open up a bit more nuance to the conversation around that observation, I suppose. So yeah, thank you for saying that because it, yeah, it's yeah, something that I've heard I, a lot. I, that, that makes sense to me. Jermaine Greer used to describe it as um, squirting the jelly into the donut. Like it's, and, and reminding women that it's not your job to be the donut. Jelly can be squirted other places just fine. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and that's that's a story that I have to that like I have to have with men as well. Like that that conversation is like, you know, are you using your partner just as a, a masturbation device, right? And could you have just done what you did with your partner by yourself and not made your partner feel used up essentially? Um, because there's a whole story around masturbation and self pleasure that a lot of men have if they're in a relationship that they don't need to self pleasure and masturbate. And so I I kind of go, well, maybe you do. Maybe that's what you needed right in that moment. That, you didn't you? need to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Maybe you didn't need to use your partner in that way. And um, and so there's yeah, there's a whole conversation there as well. Um, I'm I'm curious about that that kind of taking quadrant and how you kind of how you can help men. I know you said it's kind of experiential, which is difficult to talk about, I suppose, and intellectualize. But how do we how do we help men kind of explore that taking quadrant to go from the serving to taking what, what's something that they can do well you buy the book and you read the book and you do it with your partner and or you you go to the website and watch all the videos and do it with your partner um but i think the thing that's most critical if you want to find the taking quadrant which is what we're talking about there's two things that have to be in place Number one is your hands have to be awake. So you have to do that exercise where you wake up your hands. Because if your hands are not awake, you it's not going to feel good to you to touch another person. It's just not because they're just not, it's not, the wires are not cooked up. So that's one thing. The other thing you need is very clear communication and agreement about what you're doing. You need permission. Because if you don't have permission to feel your partner, and I recommend don't start with sexual touch, start with arms and faces and stuff, hands. Um, if you don't have permission, then you're groping and you're stealing, and that doesn't feel good to anybody. So, so this is where the practice of the three-minute game and the wheel of consent comes in. It sets you up so that you and your partner have a very clear agreement. May I feel your arm? Yes, you may. You can go up to here, but not above. Or yes, you may this one, but not this one. Or yes, you can feel the arm, but not the hand. Um, so it guides you into making this very clear. May I feel your back? May I explore your hands? And then when you have that clear permission, yes, you may, go ahead. Then you can dive in and really feel it. If you don't have permission, number one, you're not actually doing it. You're just stealing it. And number two, you're going to be worried about stealing it as well you should. Um, so you can't really relax and enjoy it. So in order to experience the taking quadrant, you need those two things. You need your hands to wake up and you need the that clear agreement permission. Um, and that's what makes it work. Um, and, and you play the 
play the three minute game. You can see it on YouTube. Um, yeah, I think that's the main thing and slowing down. And you know what? It's going to be vulnerable. You're going to have feelings of vulnerability come up. You're going to have feelings of shame come up, maybe. You're going to have feelings of delight and surprise come up. If you don't want to be surprised, don't do it. <laughs> Just go do your normal old thing and be bored. Um, but it will surprise you. It's pretty much guaranteed it's some kind of surprise. Uh, and, and so it's vulnerable. And for that reason, a lot of people avoid it because not every relationship has room for vulnerability. That's just kind of the way it is. And um, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, like, uh, I think I mentioned to this to you at the very end of our last conversation, but maybe we could dive into it a bit deeper is I've heard the taking quadrant, or at least it's not explicitly kind of talked about, um, but the way that that I've kind of interpreted the way people have spoken about this is like they, some guys have talked about like the, the kind of dark masculine or like the, they kind of talk about the, the, um, the kind of ravisher, I suppose with that, like that sexual, um, archetype, I, I guess, like the wild man or whatever it is. And, and the way that they talk about it, I'm like, Ooh, that kind of sounds like they're talking about that kind of taking quadrant where, um, uh, and, and I'm wondering, have you heard that kind of language before, the kind of dark masculine or like the wild man, or have you heard any of that? And, and have you seen it related to the taking quadrant at all? Oh, sure. I mean, taking means I'm doing what I want to you with your permission. So you're giving me the gift of your body. That's what taking is. That can have many flavors. I can be exploring your hand to feel the joints and the like, oh, how does this thing made? That's the taking quadrant. I can be running my hand down your back, enjoying the shape and the texture. That's the taking quadrant. I can be, um, you know, holding you and just feeling you up with my hands very gently. That's the taking quadrant. I can be climbing all over you. And ravishing you, that's the taking quadrant. So they're all different flavors of the taking quadrant. Um, the thing that I do have trouble with is some people will say, oh, the taking quadrant, that's the masculine. Horseshit. <laughs> Just horseshit. Because there is nothing inherently masculine or gender specific about any of the quadrants um you know I, i'm a very good taker and i'm a woman all the way through and through you know so and every human being needs an opportunity to be in every quadrant every human being no matter what your genitals no matter what your genitor your gender needs a chance to be in every quadrant. You might have your favorites, that's okay. But I think when you call a quadrant masculine or feminine, it doesn't, it's not a reflection of what the quadrant is. It's a reflection of what you think your gender is. 
So why do you think that it's more masculine to be in the taking quadrant than the allowing quadrant, for example? That's not about the quadrants. That's about what you think your gender is supposed to do. Um, and, and, that's, and, and whatever you think your gender is supposed to do is way too narrow. I can tell you that way too narrow yeah 100 agree yeah that that's that story that i was kind of referring to before which is that like men frame themselves as like the active participant the doing participant i suppose as opposed to the um receiver or the the person who's having something done to them and women are really great doers when they have a chance yeah and when men again we're kind of talking in binaries here and we're sort of talking heterosexually here and men um are great receivers when they learn how it's often difficult for them to learn how because the control and all that stuff but you know on the other hand men make up the vast majority of erotic massage clients so at some point they do know how you know or some of them do so yeah, yeah that that's definitely the, something that the, i've noticed have no gender is yes there, there's a resistance that i that i've noticed in some of the men that i work with yep which is to like receive is to to have someone like giving them a blowjob or giving them a massage or whatever it might be and and actually sitting back and enjoying it and actually like you know, not being in the head about it, not going, oh, they're doing this. So I'm going to have to do this back to them later on or, you know, but actually just being in the moment and, and experiencing the pleasure from whatever it is that their partner's doing. And I, I think, again, that, that speaks into that story of, you know, men having to be the doer and the active participant. That's like a very strong narrative for a lot of men. Um, but uh, some of the things that, that men have said to me about that in particular is they feel guilty. They feel guilty. And I think this is like the that kind of good guy mentality that you were kind of touching on before is like guys like oh i should be the person doing something that's you know i've got to be i've got to be the you know um i've got to give her the pleasure i've got to make sure that she's getting off like this is and they they kind of and they so they get in the head and they feel like guilty about receiving a blowjob from their partner first because they think their partner doesn't enjoy it um and i think like um i spoke to a woman her name's parish blair on my podcast a little while ago and um she talks about how to give a blowjob with a heart full of gratitude and it's all about and, and i'm not sure if she uses the wheel of consent framework but she talks about giving a blowjob because you enjoy it and how like how yeah, it feels for it's you make, it makes for a much better blowjob yeah exactly right and um and and so i and and so i i i play that episode for my um male clients who kind of like go oh but my, my partner I know she doesn't enjoy it or I know she's like whatever, you know, she's not into it. She's just doing it because she thinks it's what I want. And it's like, how about you ask her whether she enjoys it or not and, and have a conversation about, you know, is there a way that she could do it that is enjoyable for her? Um, and so, uh, and, and, and then again, that plays around with that kind of, um, is she taking in that moment, right? If she's giving you a blowjob, that feels good for her um, and, and playing around with those dynamics. So that's nothing, a huge amount of resistance for certain guys um, when it comes to yeah, receiving pleasure and, um, and they've, yeah, that's a hurdle they got to overcome. I think it also gets back to the vulnerability of experiencing pleasure that we, you talked about a little while ago. If it's vulnerable to experience pleasure, you're going to have feelings come up and they're going to be feelings of tenderness and gratitude. 
And when the gift really lands in your heart, you're going to have gratitude. And if you feel enough gratitude, you will cry. That is the nature of gratitude. And so if it really lands in your heart, you know, maybe you're getting a back rub or maybe a foot rub or maybe a genital massage or something, it's going to land in your heart. And then you have to deal with your tenderheartedness and maybe your tears. And you don't want to do that. So just don't receive it all. And anytime it gets close, just, you know, stop it off because you don't know what to do with all those feelings. It's really not about the pleasure. It's about the feelings. Yeah. 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 I often um, often say to guys who like like I want to feel more pleasure. I want you know I want more pleasure in from sex or whatever it is. I'm like, well, you know, pleasure is a feeling essentially. It's 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 energy, and and energy doesn't just work with oh, I just want to feel this little sliver of energy. No, you 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 have to open yourself up to everything essentially. And if you want to feel more pleasure, well, then you've also got to feel more joy and pain and shame and guilt and ecstasy and everything else that comes with feeling in general not just siphoning off this one little piece um and, yeah. and i think oh, that's kind dang, of what you're you know? speaking yeah right that's i just i just want this kind i don't want the whole thing yeah that's it that's it that's not how it works buddy yeah and i um so i often i often give them yeah tools like emotional regulation tools as well as part of the work because we're you know we're focusing on pleasure of course but because we're focusing on on feeling more pleasure they're focusing you know essentially on the feeling aspect, not on the pleasure aspect. That's just kind of what the, what the, um, the modality that I use kind of focuses on is pleasure, but they're, they're opening themselves up essentially well, to, feelings to is everything. Come up. Yeah. It, yeah. It, of course it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm wondering like where, um, just, I, I'm just mindful of time, but where else do men in your observation and in your work have resistance, I suppose, to, or difficulty with the, the wheel of consent? Well, I think the the biggest one by far is difficulty finding the taking quadrant and also very often difficulty with the accepting quadrant, which is being touched the way you want. Um, And for what all the things that we just described, you know, you think, well, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be giving back. I'm not supposed to be enjoying this so much or, you know, it's going to I'm going to have feelings come up. And that's another difficult place. Another difficult place um, that sometimes happens is when you're in the serving quadrant, which means you are giving your touch to the other person. You're giving them a back rub. You're giving them a foot rub. You're bringing them a cup of tea. You're cooking them dinner. You're driving them to the airport. You know, you're... you're, um, serving them in some way and you it's the one that most people are most familiar with but also there's a couple of problems that come with it and that is that um it's sometimes difficult to separate what's what you're actually giving from the response that you want to see So if I rub you this way, particularly if it's sexual touch, if I rub you this way, then you're supposed to react like this. And that's very entertaining for me. And so 
I need, when I'm serving, I need to be clear that this is actually for you. That means what I'm doing is for you. And that means you get to respond however you want. You can hang from the chandelier. You can go to sleep. Like it's not, you're not here to entertain me. And it's very easy when you're serving someone, especially if it's there in a lot of pleasure and maybe they get excited and then you think, oh, they're excited, so I should do more. No, they didn't ask for that. You're doing more because you think, well, maybe they'll think I'm cool if I do more, or maybe they'll be impressed with my skill, or maybe they'll get even more turned on. It's not what they ask for. Just give them what they ask for. Um, and so separating what we're doing that's actually for them from trying to get some result that we want to see because it's fun to see. Of course, it's fun to see, but that's not what you're there for when you're in that serving mode. And that's another common place. And so your hand, you know, your hand sort of strays over here because that looks fun. Knock it off. That's not what they asked for. Yeah, because that, that result that you're getting, right, or that that like reaction that you're getting, which like makes you, I mean, I, I'll speak for myself, makes me feel good if I see that she's enjoying it. If I say, I'm like, oh, I'll do that a little bit more because it's it. I'm kind of like getting that pleasure from her, right? That's that muddling of the serving, taking boundary, right? And it's um, and it wasn't agreed upon, right? And then so you're 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 starting to, I think the 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 gold that's in the the taking quadrant is like integrity right and if you're if you're starting to take without that agreement then you're you're out of integrity or or you know the vice versa if you are taking within the agreements then you're you're being in integrity i think is what what you describe um and so yeah that, that that's something that i've noticed in my own life is like yeah i'll i'll start off by doing something in the serving and 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 it feels good, right? It feels good to serve firstly, but then but then it kind of slips into all oh, this feels good because I'm doing this particular thing. So I'm gonna do that some more and then I have to oh just catch myself and all right, where where's my where's my integrity? Where's my where's my boundaries? Where's my partner's boundaries? Um and I think you pulled me up on that last time um when I spoke to you about uh giving my partner a, a massage for me. And uh and, and you were like, don't call it a massage, you know, just call it feeling up your partner. And I'm like, Yep, okay, cool, I'll I'll own that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so that, that's something I've been really working on since we last spoke, but yeah, I, I really resonate with that idea of like, okay, staying in that serving quadrant. And I think that's especially true for practitioners as well. Hey. Oh yeah. 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 There's something else that I think I would be remiss not to talk about. And that is the sense of entitlement that most men feel towards women and their bodies. And entitlement means you think or you act like you already own it. So this is what happens when, you know, a man will make a pass at a woman at a bar and she says, no, thanks. And, or just walking down the street, she says, no, thanks. And then he gets furious and starts calling her names and, you know, death threats and all kinds of bullshit. The reason that he's mad is because he thinks it, she, she, he has a right to this person. And it goes back to that thing that we were talking about at the beginning, that 
okay, I'm the man here. And, you know, I have a right to expect um, uh, attention from women, support from women, access to women. And it's very subtle. It's very deep. And you're not likely to notice it until someone says no and you get mad. And that's the sign that you thought that you were owed it. And that's where a lot of people get in trouble with, you know, groping or, or sexual harassing or grabbing people or, um, or pressuring people to have sex. You know, when a person says no, no means no. You don't get to say, oh, come on, you know, are you sure? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and that comes from a sense of entitlement, which is built in to how we were raised, how men were raised and how women were raised. It's built in. And women, for the most part, not always, of course, but women, for the most part, feel a certain obligation to keep the men happy. And also, it saves our life. So there have been times when, when keeping a man happy saved my life. Because if I didn't keep him happy, then I could beat up. So that's a fact of life for most women. And um, so women will very often go along with something because they're afraid not to. And that's just the fact of life. So it just means you have to be very gentle and take your time and go slow. And um, I, I don't have any special, you know, method for that other than just slow the fuck down. Just slow the fuck down. Yeah, that's a big one um, that I like. I have two two things to say, I suppose, that come to mind um, as you share that. And thank you for sharing it. The, the first is like, I see that idea of entitlement really perpetuated in media, right? Like I see it in movies and fucking TV shows and just stories that we tell ourselves, like the guy who who is the hero of the movie, he gets the girl in the end, right? And he like, yeah, and he's, he's, he deserves the girl because of the hard work that he's put in or whatever it is, right? That's the way it's kind of framed within the narrative of the movie or the TV shows. The guy does the thing and gets the girl. And like, so a lot of men perpetuate that story of like, oh, I do the, I go to work, I come home, I deserve sex, right? I, right, I, I go out, I did the thing and now I, I get the girl, right? And, that, and then, so they, they play into that story. They think because it's, that's what, that's just what it is, right? And, and so whether that's art imitating life or life imitating art, I think it's a bit of both. I think it, it, it perpetuates each other. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to mention is something that I've been like noticing in my own relationship is um, that is like that entitlement piece for me is like my, so I've got my my um, fiance, we unfortunately not married yet because of COVID, um, but we, um, like we, we, we walk around the house and like give each other hugs. And so I'll go in for, you know, she'll be washing the dishes or she'll be, you know, playing with our son Fergus and I'll come out of my office from doing work and I'll go in and give her a hug from behind or, you know, squeeze her bum or whatever it is. And like, and so like the, and so when I started to unpack my own entitlement piece, 
I was like, ooh, am I giving my 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 wife a, a tap on the bum as I walk past her, you know, a cheeky you know, tap on the bum? Is that from a place of, is that an agreed upon thing that we'd actually spoken about? Or is that me going, oh, I can do this because this is my my wife. And and so like that, and so we've had some conversations about like, is that okay? Like, do you, you know, um, would you be okay? Like, do you want me to check every time? Like, what, what does that look like within our relationship, I suppose? And so um, that was a, that was a, just a entitlement kind of story that I had to unpack with myself. And, um, and I think, I think, I, I don't know whether this is, um, you know, related, but like I've noticed, and it, like entitlement play like different roles for for men and women, I suppose. Like there's, um, and you you, know, you mentioned, you know, this idea of if so for for men, if like a woman says no to you and you get angry about it, um, that's kind of an indicator that there's probably some story around entitlement there. What I've also noticed as well is, especially when I've worked with some couples, is if a man says no to his like a heterosexual couple if a man says no to his female partner then she doesn't necessarily get angry about it but there's a story there of like oh he should want to have sex with me there's almost like and i don't know if it's entitlement i don't know if it's something else but there's well, there's a story there as well which is quite interesting but um but yeah so i think entitlement definitely I think it's a human thing, but it definitely shows up in a kind of skewed way for for in that binary way of men and women, I suppose. It often does. I mean, it varies by the person, of course. And there are themes that run through because of our gender programming. Yeah. Yeah. Socialization yeah. for sure. Um I am mindful of time, Betty, and I, I wanted to, well, to yeah, just- Yeah, I need in, to go here shortly. Yeah, if there's anything else you wanted to drop in, any other nuggets of wisdom, um, I'm sure there are so many, but um, yeah, for the two minutes that we've got left, is there anything else that you wanted to throw in? Or do you feel complete? Yeah, I, I want to say that to both um, men and women or people who are raised as boys and people who are raised as girls, and- also to transgender and non-binary folks, um, we were raised with mountains of bullshit around our gender and our sexuality. I mean, it's a bloody miracle that we can even reproduce the species, you know? I mean, just uh, mo 95% of what we believe about sex and about sexuality and about gender is just fucking bullshit. So don't, it's not your fault that you, that it, it's not our faults that we carry these big mountains of confusion and guilt and shame and, um, and there's help. And it, it's, it, it, no wonder it's confusing because we were just handed this big mountain of confusion and harmful beliefs and you know you think you're supposed to be this way you're supposed to be this way and if you're not this way something wrong with you and all that stuff um it, it's not your fault not your fault and every every one of us is trying to swim our way out of this ocean of a mess that we're in and and thank goodness for people like you and me and many, many, many other people who are exploring it and providing thoughts and, you know, and we, we may be totally wrong and, you know, 
could be. And it's worth exploring and it's worth getting some help with. It's so totally worth it. Yeah, I 100% agree. There, there was um, a, I heard this, for the life of me, I can't remember who it was, so I, I can't credit them, but I heard this saying the other day that was, you're not responsible for your first thought about something. That's what that society's thought, right? That first thought that you have about sex or that first thought that you have about women or whoever it is like that, that first thought that pops up is society. That's from society. So you're not responsible for that. That's not your fault, that first thought. But what you are responsible for is that second thought that you have and how you act on that thought, right? Is that's what you've got responsibility for is that second one and how you act on it. And, um, and I was like, yeah, that makes that makes sense to me. So um, yeah, thank you so much, Betty, for for sharing and for yes, but just giving me your time as well. I really, really appreciate two two episodes is um incredible. And I am um, yeah, I'm so glad that we got to do this. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. Me too. Me too. Blessings. Take care. Yes. See you. Bye. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind the scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.